A good morning, men of God. It is great here to be with you and to share with you uh, this reflection today about the cross and where have the men gone. You know, we look back 2,000 years ago and we think of that fateful day, Good Friday, when our Lord was hanging on the cross and who were around him? Where were the men? That was the question many were asking. The women were there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, of course, a number of the other women uh, that followed our Lord, supported him through his ministry. But where were the men? Where was Peter? Where was Timothy? Andrew? James? All of his apostles, his followers, they seemed to be on the periphery. They had scattered. St. John was there, but... Many people would believe he was there because of the Blessed Mother. And he might not have been there if it wasn't for her. So again, where are the men? And when we look at sacred scripture, we look at history, we see that men do regroup. They do come back. And uh, they learn from their mistakes. And we have so many accountings of the apostles' great works. We look at the spreading of the faith all over the world by holy men and women of God, but people that regrouped, learned from their mistakes. And I think men, I think a lot of us can relate to that idea of learning from our mistakes. How many of us in school had the opportunity to do a retest where the teacher in his mercy said, you know, I know that almost all the class failed and I don't want to bell curve this, but I want you to Go home, study again. I'm going to let you take the test again. Uh, this is very much what we can learn from Calvary and from the cross. We are given this opportunity to do a retest. And if we were to use a sports analogy, we would call it, we get to review the film. We get to study the plays once again. Look at our failures and try to not make the same mistake again. And so this beautiful opportunity to learn from our mistakes uh, is where we're going to look at today. We're going to review the film together, and we're going to learn from that. Now, when a teacher gives us the opportunity to do a retest, you don't think that we go back to the books and we read the books again? Well, it's the same idea. But where if we were weak on a certain subject, we would usually hire a tutor so in the case of this, where we failed because of sin, our Lord, in his gift of mercy to us, gives us his mother. And the Blessed Mother is going to be our tutor, and she's going to help us uh, with uh, this restudy, this uh, idea of learning from our mistakes. And she is a beautiful gift to us men. She really is. And so I think when we look at the crucifix and we just take a moment to ponder the cross, sadly, men, the crucifix has been disappearing from the face of the earth. We've seen our governments legislate the crucifix out of office buildings, schools. Uh, it just seems to be harder and harder every day to find a crucifix. And yes, I know that we have a few and each one of us has a rosary that has a crucifix on it. But really, how many crucifixes do we have in our lives today? 
Archbishop Sheen wrote many years ago, you can have a statue of a Buddha, you can have a painting of one of the seven wonders of the world, but put a crucifix on your desk for three days and it changes you. It changes you. And this is so true because when we look at the crucifix, it convicts us. We realize that it was our sin that put our Lord on the cross. It was our sin that caused him to die. And, and we need to take responsibility for that. It, it's sad, but it's true. And this is why the world runs away from the cru crucifix. It convicts people. It involves them. And so this is why they cower and they run away from it. Archbishop Sheen said that there's two types of people in the world. Those who are, have no fear to contemplate the cross and take time to ponder it. And those who run away from it. A beautiful quote from St. Thomas Aquinas is, I've learned more from the crucifix than any of my books. And that's so true. We, we see pictures of the saints and they're gazing upon the crucifix. And you could see they're learning a lesson, a beautiful mystery of God so loving the world that he sent his only son to save us, to die on the cross for us. And so the crucifix is powerful and it teaches us. And so, men, just think about this. We have to just own up and take responsibility for our sin. And, you know, I think of this one story that uh, caught my attention many years ago, and it was the story of a drunk driver, and uh, sadly, he ran over uh, a woman's son. And, uh, again, just one of those heart-wrenching stories that we, we see uh, way too often. And the drunk driver woke up in jail the next day, sobered up, and had this great sorrow for killing the son of this uh, mother. And you knew there was going to be that point where he wanted to apologize to her. And we always kind of wondered what the reception of the mother would be. If she would uh, just have a great anger and just want to say to him, I hope that your time in jail that you spend is going to be the worst time of your life, that you're tortured every day, that it is the most abusive uh, time of your life, that I hope also that you die in jail, and that when you die, that you will rot in hell for all eternity. I hope that. I just, and you could just imagine the mother just unloading uh, her hate, her anger upon this soul. Or yet, we sometimes think, what happens? Will the mother say, hey, I forgive you. You didn't know what you were doing. You were drunk. You were out of your mind. And uh, don't beat yourself up. These things happen. If she would have that mercy uh, to that individual. So we don't know how the story would end. One of hate or one of forgiveness. But this story caught my attention because for once in my life, I realized when I looked upon the crucifix that there was this correlation between the drunk driver and me in that I was the drunk driver that caused Jesus to die on the cross. And I was guilty of his death. And yet I had never, ever even thought of apologizing to the mother of that victim. And the mother of that victim was the Blessed Mother. And so I want to take you men on this journey 
I want you to just imagine for a few moments the possibility of apologizing to the Blessed Mother. I think sometime during the day we'll have that opportunity to uh, spend a holy hour. Uh, the holy mass will be sacrificed uh, later on today. But I don't know if many of you men have taken that time to uh, link the two, to know that our Lord has a mother and that she suffered. When our Lord was dying on the cross, she suffered. She was at the foot of the cross. And so I want you to envision this moment of contrition. Imagine all of us today come to the foot of the cross and we, we are met by our mother and the Lord's mother. And I say our mother because she is our mother. For at the foot of the cross, our Lord, in those beautiful words, looked down upon her and said, Woman, behold your son. And to the disciple he loved, Behold your mother. And at that moment, we became children of Mary. We became her adopted sons. And so imagine with me, men, coming forward to her at the foot of the cross and apologizing to her for our role in the death of her son. And I promise you, men, the words you will hear from her is, I forgive you, I love you, you're mine. Now I want you to listen to him. Now remember, men, we're taking the retest and she's going to help us. She's our tutor. She's going to help us review the tapes, review things, and so that we can get it right the next time. And so she takes us and puts her mantle around us. She wipes our tears. And she says, now listen to his words of advice. He's going to give you a sermon, a sermon on Mount Calvary, how to live your life, how to turn away from your sin, and how to become holy. So listen to him. And so, men, we listen to him. And he announces that first word from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, what does this mean? Our Lord, in his life, was a man that, I want to say, had righteous anger. We know of his time in the temple where he took his whip, and of course he moved the cattle out and all the livestock. He overturned the money changers' tables. And it was a righteous anger because they were making uh, just a mockery of the Lord's house. And we can learn from the Lord. We can learn from the Lord. The word from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, it teaches us two lessons. The first is that the reason for forgiveness is ignorance. And the second, there are no limits to forgiveness. You know, I think each and every one of us has a neighbor, a coworker, a family member that just drives us nuts. They do things that just, uh, we shake our heads. We shake our heads at. Yet, sometimes when you really think about it, men, do they really know what they're doing? You know, I have a neighbor that uh, just sometimes I, I pull my hair, at, hair out at, and, but I realize he's never been catechized. He has no faith. He uh, is a man that just has been wandering through life, trying to find joy 
in his very various fancies. And because he's my neighbor, I have to watch his activities. And my young children at the time had to watch him too. And so I was very upset, but I realized he didn't know what he was doing. There was an ignorance. And I had to look into my own heart too. And I think we all have to do the same. Are we really, you know, that pure, that holy? Have we ever offended God? Has he any right to be angry with us? Then why should we, who need pardon so badly, strive not to purchase it by pardoning others? The answer is because we never examine our own consciences. You know, I had to think about it, and I say, you know what? I might have fallen into the same pattern that he had if I wasn't catechized. We have to look into uh, not only our souls and really take stock, but we have to understand that people sometimes really don't know what they're doing. Our Lord shows us the way. He came to make reparation for the sin of anger. First, by teaching us a prayer, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then by giving us a precept, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. And more concretely, still he added, whosoever will force you one mile, go with him another two. If a man take away your coat, let go of thy cloak also. Beautiful words of forgiveness and mercy and our Lord showing us the way, giving us the example. Forgiveness is unlimited. Remember that. The second lesson from this first word of the cross. Our Lord forgave when he was innocent and not because he himself had been forgiven. Hence, we must forgive not only when we have been forgiven, but even when we're innocent. I want to leave you with this on this first lesson about anger. Forgive them and we will be forgiven. Remit our anger against others and God will remit his anger against us. Judgment is a harvest where we sow what we reap. If we sow anger against our brother during this life, we will reap the just anger of God. Judge not and we shall not be judged. If during this life we forgive others from our hearts on judgment day, the wise God will permit something very unusual to himself. He will forget how to add and will know only how to subtract. He who has the memory from all eternity will no longer remember our sins. Thus, we will be saved once again through ignorance. What a beautiful meditation this is. And you can see how our Lord is reviewing the tapes with us, reviewing the lesson plan helping us to deal with our failures when it came to anger. And so now we can move forward. And so this retest, this tutorial, this um, reviewing uh, to, again, take the test once again, continues with the topic of envy. When our Lord says from the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. Now, what is envy? You know, truly, envy is the sadness at another's good and the joy at another's evil. I mean, how we, I mean, we all struggle, I mean, to some degree or another with envy. 
I know I have over my life. I always think of the guy that is better looking than me, has a better job than me, uh, seems to have more opportunity than me. And, you know, again, I always say I'm human. And I think many of you men have the same feelings. There's things in your life that you just, that bug you about your neighbor, about, you know, your position, your lot in life. And yet, we have to really understand that even though envy is on the increase today, as it undoubtedly is, it is because of the surrender of the belief of a future life and the righteous divine justice. If this life is all it is, they think they should have it all. From that point on, envy, envy of others becomes their rule of life. Since envy is so rampant in the world today, it is extremely good counsel to disbelieve 99% of the wicked statements we hear about others. And that's so true. There's two lessons that can be taught from this second word from the cross. The first is that envy is the source of our wrong judgments about others. The chances are that if we are envious of others, nine times out of ten, we will misjudge their characters. Let's talk about the two thieves for a moment and what we can learn from them, because this is a great dynamic, these two thieves. They both started out the same way. They both were cursing our Lord and heaping condemnation on him. But at some point, there was a conversion in the good thief. It's so funny how he had to disbelieve all the lies he was told about the Lord and what he had heard about them. But somehow, some way in his heart, he humbled himself and realized that he deserved his punishment, but the Lord was innocent. And I think of this beautiful example the good thief gives about speaking up. And he looks over to his fellow thief and says, do you not fear God? For we deserve this punishment, but he is innocent. And he looked to the Lord and he said, please remember me when you enter your kingdom. He had the courage to challenge his fellow thief. How many of us, really men, how many of us, when someone is attacking the church, when someone's speaking ill of our parish priest, when somebody is just attacking the sacraments, especially the sacrament of confession, when they're saying, why do you have to do that that way? How many of us just remain silent and say nothing? Many of us do. We don't want to pick a fight. We don't want to uh, be known as, oh, the zealous one. We remain silent. Yet the good thief is rewarded because he speaks up. And he is that example for us men to speak up to our fellow thieves and say, you know what? We deserve this punishment, but he doesn't. He's innocent. Our Lord is holy. He is innocent. Something to think about, men. You know, the second lesson that we can learn from this word is that the only way to overcome envy is like the thief on the right, and that's to show pity. Pity should be extended not only to those outside the church, and we know literally tons and tons of our friends who are outside the church, living a life as if they never bore a cross, but even to the enemies of the church who would destroy even the shadow of the cross, 
God is their judge, not us. God is their judge, not us. One thief was saved on the cross. Therefore, let no one despair. One thief was lost. There, therefore, let no one presume. Have pity then on the miserable, and divine mercy will be the reward for your pity. One of the thieves asked to be taken up, and one asked to be taken down. May we realize that it is the better of the two requests to ask to be taken up. Lord, take me up. The third lesson that we're going to learn is that struggle with the sin of lust. Now, I know many of you men come to these men's conferences always looking for what I call the cure. Uh, we're all just being beat up by the world. It's a crazy, crazy world. And our Lord, in his wisdom, his mercy, gives us his mother. And so that third word on the cross that will help us with the struggle with lust is, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. We live in what is probably called the greatest error of carnality. Uh, it just, guys, everywhere we go, we're assaulted. Uh, we are being just uh, inundated with messages. It's a dirty, dirty world. Uh, we're just constantly being bombarded. I, I can't say enough. I, you know, you know the pain. But it's funny. It's it's so funny. It's it's never the pure who say that chastity and purity is impossible. But it's only the impure. We judge others by ourselves and attribute to the others the vices from which we ourselves refuse to abstain. Now, what, what did our Lord do? And, and this is one thing that I think we forget sometimes, but our Lord in reparation for all the impure desires and thoughts of men, our Lord is crowned with thorns where in reparation for all the sins of shame, he is stripped of his garments, where in reparation for all the lust of the flesh, he is almost dispossessed of his flesh. For according to sacred scripture, the very bones of his body could be numbered. There's two lessons to be learned from this third word from the cross. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. One, the only real escape from the demands of the flesh is to find something more than the flesh to love. And two, Mary is the refuge of sinners. If we could ever find anything we love more than the flesh, the demands of the flesh would be less imperative. This is the escape a mother offers her boy when she says, don't do anything of which your mother would be ashamed. If there is ever that higher love of his mother, the boy will always have a consecrated sense of affection, something for which he will be willing to make sacrifices. When a mother makes such an appeal to her son, she is merely re-echoing the lessons of our Savior, who in giving his mother to us as our mother, equivalently says, my children, never do anything of which your mother would be ashamed. Let a soul but love that mother, and he will love her divine son Jesus, who in order to make satisfaction for the unlawful pleasures of the flesh, surrendered to his last and lawful attachment, his mother. The higher love, my brothers, 
is the Blessed Mother. We're to spend time and energy getting to know her, to love her, to be those good boys for her. One of the things I learned years ago, and it was at a men's conference, was that teaching of living the gospel, living these words. And someone challenged me to take the Blessed Mother home, just as St. John did. And so we knew that after the crucifixion was over and our Lord had died, and they laid him in the tomb, that then the Blessed Mother went to live with John. And men, here's my challenge to you. Imagine how your lives would, would be changed if you truly lived as if you brought the Blessed Mother home with you. Think about it as your protective custody. Now, if she got in the van with you and drove home with you, and of course, she would want to sit and be with you at all meals. And just imagine what your behavior would be like if, of course, she was with you. And when you go down to your computer and you're ready to uh, log in and to view whatever you view on the computer, do you think you're ever going to view pornography if she's there sitting beside you? Probably not. And if you're thinking of going out and drinking with the boys, do you think you're going to have six beers? Or maybe just one or two because she's in your presence. If you were to take her home with you and live this truly, you would find that your sinful nature would be curbed immensely. Her presence is so important. And so it's difficult, a difficult challenge, but possible. One thing that I found helpful, and I mean, many of us, uh, you know, sadly, it's just our cross that we carry. It's that sin of masturbation because we're constantly under assault with, you know, the stimulus of, of, of course, the media, just going out on the streets, we were assaulted. But here's three things that helped me a great deal to overcome this sin. The first came through my family. I have three children and a wife. And as a father, I want to protect my children. And so naturally, my daughters, who I think are beautiful, uh, of course, were in those years where the men came knocking at the door. And naturally, I wanted to protect them. And of course, uh, even in this world where it seems like there's no rules anymore, uh, people wouldn't think twice about uh, you know, flirting with another person's wife. So naturally, I wouldn't want anyone abusing my daughters or my wife. So if I wanted to talk the talk, I needed to walk the walk. So every time I see a woman, I ask this question. Is that woman someone's daughter or somebody's wife? And by asking that question, it automatically, what I would like to say almost throw some water on the fire. It calms the situation. Because again, that's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's wife. How dare I ever think of violating that? So again, that helped me a great deal. Is that someone's daughter or somebody's wife? Maybe this is a technique that you can practice uh, and use. And you know, also treat every woman as if they were your sister. I think that can calm a lot of the passions that happen in men. And if we looked more towards women as our sisters in Christ, I think this would help us a great deal. 
The second thing that I did that helped me a great deal with this struggle was to put holy pictures of the saints right by my computer. Now I have two favorite saints, St. Maria Goretti and St. Lucy of Syracuse. And I have a picture of St. Lucy of Syracuse right beside my computer. And this beautiful picture is the picture of the saint with a platter and there's two eyeballs on the platter. Many of you may know that picture. And so that picture is right beside my computer. And so she's kind of my big sister and she's looking out for me. <laughs> and so, you know, she's, she says, I'll pluck your eyeballs out if you look at porn, so don't do it. And it's a nice gentle reminder to know that the saints are helping us with this struggle. The saints are truly helping us. And I also have a picture of St. Maria Goretti uh, on the other side of my computer, and she also helps me. So again, there's nothing wrong with putting holy pictures of the saints. Whatever it takes, men, do what you gotta do. And I know it's helped me, so maybe a recommendation for you. Uh, one of the best ways to help you is to have a crucifix on your desk. And as Archbishop Sheen said so many times, you know, you can have a statue of a Buddha and, you know, it'll make you smile, but put a crucifix on your desk for three days and it'll change you. This crucifix that I have on my desk is a beautiful reminder. And as I said to you earlier, our Lord made reparation for the sins against the flesh by giving up his flesh. Uh, he was almost unfleshed by the scourging and the crucifixion. Can you imagine, again, falling into sin if all of a sudden I said to you, a piece of his flesh would drop off right in front of you? Can you imagine if that happened? Wouldn't that be uh, just a moving experience to change your mind? Because that's what has happened, is our sin has caused our Lord's flesh to fall off. And we don't want to be a part of that. And so having a crucifix on your desk and reminding yourself, the sins of the flesh tore our Lord's flesh off. It is this uh, little message of love that might be able to help you a great deal. So again, pictures and a crucifix, strongly recommend them, especially by your computers. Another thing that I strongly recommend people to do is pray to the holy souls of purgatory. You know, I think of the holy souls and I think, you know, they're in purgatory for a reason. And, you know, we know what the church teaches about the holy souls in purgatory and that they can, I like to say, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Uh, the holy souls are souls that can intercede for us and they can help us. And I always ask the holy souls of purgatory to warn me because they're paying a price for their sin. And so if I can get a warning, if I can get some help, I'm going to be a better person. And of course, I want to return that favor and pray for them. And so I think of how that soul, once it's released from purgatory and is in before the beatific vision, how that soul will just want to continue to thank you and help you. And so again, the, soul, the holy souls in purgatory are, is my secret weapon. I strongly recommend all of you men to develop a devotion to the holy souls. They're here to help us. They're here to help us. So there you go. You've got three tips to go by to help you with that. But always remember, Mary is the refuge of sinners. She is the refuge of sinners. 
And what's amazing is when we look to Calvary and the lessons we can learn, she had Magdalene as her companion. And what do you think the scandalmonger said looking at that? But she was redeemed. Again, the Blessed Mother is the refuge of sinners. So if Magdalene can be there, we can be there. She is our mother. So again, great lessons to learn there. We continue our tutorial, our retest, mother being our tutor, as she then grabs us and says, now the lessons continue. So let's talk about the sin of pride and how our Lord says from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We are a proud bunch. Pride is one of the greatest sins. In fact, it is the greatest sin. And uh, it's the sin that made Satan fall from heaven. But what we've learned in these two lessons from this word is that God is asking us to not glory in ourselves. For God, he resists the proud. Remember that. He resists the proud. And two, glory in humility. For humility is truth and the path to greatness. So men, why should we be proud? I remember Archbishop Sheen, uh, of course, he would humble us by, he'd say, hey, uh, men, listen, you know, from a material point of view, uh, we're worth so little. The content of the human body is equivalent to as much iron as there is in a nail, as much sugar as there is in two lumps, as much oil as there is seven bars of soap, and as much phosphorus as there is in 2,200 matches, and as much magnesium as it takes to develop a photograph. In all, the human body chemically is worth a little less than $2. Oh, why should the spirit of a mortal be proud? But spiritually, we are worth more than the universe. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and suffers the loss of his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Guys, <laughs> we need to be humble. We need to be humble. You know, we live in the world of know-it-alls. I mean, I just, I think I said the buzzword, know-it-alls. And, you know, this is easy to understand. For if a man thinks he knows it all, there's nothing left for him to know. Not even what God might tell him. If the soul is filled to the brim with ego, there is no place left for God. And if a vessel is filled with water, it cannot also be filled with oil. So it is with the soul. God can give us truth, his life, only to those who have emptied themselves. We must create a vacuum in our souls and make room for grace. We live under the impression that we do more than we actually do. Men, we need to be humble and it will do us a great deal of good. The humble soul, conscious of his dependence on God, is always the thankful soul. Men, I don't, I don't think we give God enough thanks and praise. Archbishop Sheen was quick to point out, and he would remind people all the time of the story of Jesus healing the ten lepers. And only one of the ten came back to thank him. And sometimes we can get caught up into that, uh, just taking things for granted and not thanking for good things done to us. And I think we need to have this spirit of gratitude. 
and not be the nine out of 10, but rather be that one that always gives thanksgiving. And so make that a holy habit. Give the Lord thanks for all things and be humble and you'll be glad you did. You'll be a blessed man. We continue our reviewing the tapes and we look at that sin of gluttony. And I know many of us struggle with this sin. And it's not just the gluttony of food. It's the gluttony of what we do. Sometimes our addiction to sports, our addiction to activities outside the home, it is something. Our Lord says from the cross, I thirst. And what he's doing is he's thirsting for our relationship. If there's any indication of the present degeneration of society better than any other, it is the excess of luxury in this modern world. When men begin to forget their souls, they begin to take great care of their bodies. It's funny, there are more athletic clubs in the modern world today than there are spiritual retreat houses. And who shall count the millions spent in beauty shops to glorify faces that will one day be the prey of worms? It is not particularly difficult to find thousands of men who will spend two or three hours a day in exercising, but if you ask them to bend their knees to God for five minutes, they will protest that it's too long. Added to this is the shocking amount that is yearly spent, not in the normal pleasure of drinking, but in its excess. The scandal increases when one considers the necessary wants of the poor, which could have been supplied by the amount spent on such dehumanization. Men, these, these words are so true, and these were words shared by Archbishop Sheen many years ago. There are more fitness clubs than there are spiritual retreat houses, and we do work out a couple hours a day and balk and, and argue with God when we're asked to say the rosary or give up 10 minutes of prayer. Uh, we, it hurts. The truth hurts. Ouch. But again, our Lord is thirsting for a relationship. He's thirsting for our time. If there's two things I could recommend to you today, one Try to mortify your bodily hunger and your thirst. And two, cultivate a spiritual hunger and thirst. Now the first, to mortify bodily hunger and thirst, you know, we can talk about fasting, we can talk about dieting, but fasting, of course, is again a beautiful practice. I know it's difficult for many, but it's something I would strongly recommend. And two, the idea of giving up, uh, you know, a little bit of money that uh, we spend in excess. And, you know, just think of giving up that one meal that you would go out to every month or that movie and give that equivalent amount of money to the poor. It will do your soul a great service. And so, again, something just to challenge you with is this idea of fasting, not just the bodily fast, but also a bit of a social fast, giving that money that we would have spent on a movie, a hockey game, a night out at Boston Pizza to the poor. Uh, it will do our souls a great deal of good. And men, let us never forget to cultivate a spiritual hunger and thirst. 
may I recommend that you try to add as many prayer times through the week that you can. A holy hour is great, but if not, waking up early. I, I love uh, this uh, saying that was given to me years ago, Bible before breakfast, and I won't let myself have breakfast until I read a little bit of sacred scripture. And of course, Bible before bed. These little disciplines of spending time with the Lord, but of course, visiting him in the Blessed Sacrament wherever you can, even if you're driving by churches to give that little nod, that little sign of the cross to acknowledge our Lord. And I think of how so many times the world sadly uh, would miss a dessert more than it would miss a Holy Communion. Men, we need to double our efforts to spend time with the Lord. And may I pray that you would have the grace to do that. And it'll be time well spent. This lesson of reviewing the tapes and getting better, you can see how already how we're tackling five of the seven deadly sins all through this, uh, I want to say, this tutoring from the Blessed Mother. She's standing there at the foot of the cross with us, and we're listening to our Lord, listening to his instructions. And so we will now deal with that sin of laziness and the sin of sloth, and we all suffer from this sin. Men, there are two lessons that we can learn from this word, it is finished. The first is that we must beware of spiritual sloth, for its penalties are tremendous. And second, we must work for a complete life. Men of God, heaven is a city on a hill, and we cannot coast into it. We have to climb. Those who are too lazy to mount can miss its capture, as well as the evil who refuse to seek it. Let no one think he can be totally indifferent to God in this life and suddenly develop a capacity for him at the moment of death. Men, where will the capacity for heaven come from if we have neglected it here on earth? I'll give this an example. A man can't walk into a lecture room on higher mathematics if he hasn't have a taste for higher mathematics. You know, a heaven of poetry and poets, uh, no one's going to appreciate that unless you have a love for poetry. And, you know, a heaven of divine truth, righteousness, the saints, justice, it would be a hell to those who have never cultivated that love and those virtues here below. Heaven, my friends, is only for those who work for heaven. Remember that. Heaven is only for those who work for heaven. Are you working for heaven? There's that saying, get her done. <laughs> get her done. And the Lord, he sets that beautiful example. He came and completed his mission. He did the will of the Father. He got his work done. And he points to us and says, men, do the same. Do the same. And finally, men, we look towards a lesson we need to learn about the sin of greed. And our Lord gives us the antidote with his words from the cross, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And the sin of greed, you know, is this love of things of this world. And the desire of money, as scripture says, is the root of all evil. But we are 
a greedy bunch. We are very possessive of so many things. And what we can learn from this last word our Lord spoke from the cross are two lessons. One, the more ties we have to the earth, the harder it will be for us to die. And two, we were never meant to be perfectly satisfied here below. That first lesson, the more ties we have to the earth, the harder it will be to die. My experience is, is that when a man loves wealth, he and it grow together like a tree, pushing itself in through the crevices of a rock. Death to such a man is a painful wrench because of his close identification with the material. He has everything to live for and nothing to die for. He becomes at death the most destitute and despoiled beggar in the universe, for he has nothing he can take with him. He discovers too late that he did not belong to himself, but to things. For wealth is a pitiless master. It would not allow him during his life to think of anything else except increasing itself. He was never free to save the only thing he could carry with him to eternity, and that was his soul. In order to acquire a part of it, he lost the whole. He won a fraction of the earth. Now he will only need six feet of it. Very sad, very sad. The second point is that we were never meant to be perfectly satisfied here below. Our Lord, in his last words from the cross, is saying that nowhere else can we be satisfied except in God. It is almost impossible for us to be perfectly happy here below. Nothing proves this more than disappointment. One might almost say that the essence of life is disappointment. We look forward to a position, to marriage, to ownership of a business, to power, to popularity, to wealth. And when we attain them, we have to admit, if we're honest, that they never come up to our expectations. You see, for many of us, the tragedy of our modern life is that so many put their pleasures and the desires rather than the discovery. Having lost the one purpose of human living, namely God, they seek substitutes in the petty things of this earth. Men, what does the catechism teach us? Why were we born? And the answer is, is we were born to know God, to love him, to serve him in this life, and to be happy with him in the next. A very simple plan. Get to know God, to love God, to serve him in this life, and to be happy with him for the life to come. Men were chasing stuff, but we need to chase God. He thirsts for us. And as our Lord on the cross gave God his holy will and handed over his spirit, we too need to give God our wills. Our desire has to be that we desire God's holy will. And this will make us holy and this will make us happy. Men, this is the tutorial that we need so that we can pass the test. 
The Blessed Mother is our tutor. And our Lord gave her to us. And we need to remember that. She will always help us. I think of how our Lord spent three hours on the cross redeeming the world. He spent three years teaching his disciples and proclaiming the kingdom of God. But he spent 30 years with the Blessed Mother. And he chose to do that, to be formed by her, to be loved by her. If you want to be a Christian, what a better way to be a Christian than to be formed by her who formed Christ. Men, we need her like the apostles needed her, for she mothered the new church and she will mother us. We need her to help us so that we will not fail when we're put to the test. Men, I want to leave you with this encouragement to put the crucifix back into your life. Put one on your desk. Put one in every room of your house. Put one in your car. Put them in your pockets. Have it as a reminder of God's great love for you. This is the way that you can replay the tapes. This is the review. This is the answer to all our questions to make right our lives. The crucifix, the crucifix. As I said earlier, there are two types of people in the world. Those who will contemplate the crucifix and those who will cower and run away from it. Don't run away from it, men. Have it in your life. Learn from it. And you will be happy. I want you to agree with the words of St. Thomas Aquinas when he said, I have learned more from the crucifix than any of my books. Study hard, man. Learn from the crucifix. Learn from our Lord. Remember, men, there will never be an Easter Sunday in our lives unless there is a Good Friday. We need to go through the cross. But most importantly, we need to go through Mary. Let us never forget where he is, she is. She is our mother. She is the refuge of sinners. She is here to help us to get to heaven. May we go to her. And so men, please, I asked you to reconcile with your mother, to make things right, so that you can listen to her with great joy and great enthusiasm. Become the good son God called you to be. Learn from the Lord. And as the Blessed Mother said at the wedding feast of Cana, do whatever he tells you. May we learn from our Lord's words from the cross so that we may become the men that God called us to be. God love you.